Okay, let's pray together. Oh God, you are our light, you are our strength. And when we hear these fascinating, fascinating research results, may it confirm in our minds, our spirits, our hearts, that you have made every provision to be our strength from the beginning all the way through to the ending of our lives. Let the Word of God be applied through the Spirit to our journeys. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know this is not a theological term, but I want to share with you this morning three compelling medical studies that will blow your socks off. Couldn't find that verse in the Bible. Study number one. I have it right here. This is from a journal, Current Directions in Psychological Science, a journal of the American Psychological Society. Hold on. Three studies this morning. I'm indebted to Skip and Lynn McCarty's daughter, Pam, by the way, a graduate of Andrews University, went off to do a, a Ph.D. in stress studies. She found this, shared it with Skip. Skip has passed it on to me. And as soon as I saw it, I knew we had to share it. I saw both. I learned about all three of these studies just this last week. So it's, it's fresh material for me. Opening line. We'll put it up on the screen. Opening line to this story in this um, scholarly journal goes like this. It is not surprising that religion and spirituality remain important to the vast majority of individuals in a society such as the United States, which can be characterized. Now, we're a hundred nations here. But our society can be characterized by as fragmented, disconnected, and increasingly aging. That's true. You are Gen Xers, but there are a whole bunch of us baby boomers who are moving slowly but surely toward the inevitable. And that's old age. So that's our society. Now, you say, okay, Dwight, does that mean that this study only concerns United States residents? Answer is no. Before I share with you the fascinating results, let me read another sentence from the middle of the study. You can read it too. Studies on the influence of, re of religion on physical health. See, how does religion affect health? How does spirituality impact health? These studies suggest that religion usually, but not always, all right, these are researchers, they're telling the truth, not always, every time, but usually plays a positive role. A positive influence has been found in research involving subjects of all ages, that gets all of us in, both genders, that took care of the rest, and a variety of religions, i.e. Protestants, Catholics, Jews, Buddhists, and Muslims. And not only the U.S., respondents from a number of regions, North America, Asia, Africa, and ethnic groups have been used in a broad range of research designs. Now, this study put together by authors Kevin Siebold and Peter Hill, they're noting that since the majority of us in the U.S. are concerned with religion and spirituality, and you factor in global cultures as well, something happens when you get serious about experiencing religion in your own life. Let's put it up on the screen. Salutary effects of religion and spirituality on physical health, i.e., when you experience spirituality and religion, what does it do to your health? Let's take a look. These are, now, here are health categories that we all uh, are confronted with. How about kidney failure? What happens when I pursue spirituality? Oh, kidney failure goes down. How about cancer mortality? The rate goes down. How about cardiac surgery, dying after a heart surgery? The rate goes down when you pursue spirituality 
and religion. How about overall mortality? The death rate goes down when you pursue God. How about surgery-related stress? It, too, is lowered. How about positive health habits? Nope, they don't go down. They go up. How about the one we're all wondering, will you live longer if you pursue God? And what's the answer? Longevity increases. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter how you, how you stack it up in black and white, here is research that indicates that when you get serious about pursuing God, it is always a win-win proposition. Wow. Physically speaking. And by the way, we're not talking about emotional health. We're not talking about intellectual health. Simply the physical indicators are positively on the up. Negatively, they go down. I believe there is a three-letter word that summarizes a study like this. And it's the word wow. Because of a three-letter truth that goes like this. God. What a difference God makes. Now, some of you watching on television right now may have, you know, just happened to chance upon uh, this particular program. You don't really have a lot of time for God in your life right now. I want to invite you, my friend, to reconsider what you have written off. Could it be that your whole life can be impacted? Now, here we are, university congregation filled with young adults and adults and senior citizens. What we confront in these three studies, and there are only two more, is our final, cheerful, buoyant, attractive, winsome, contagious reason for why we are what we are. Now, you think about it. Just leaving all the other contagious reasons out. What we've just discovered in this study. If you have no faith at all, no religion at all, but you become a believer in God, you are markedly and significantly benefited by your new faith. Just a month ago, we read USA Today. What did USA Today announce? 29.4 million Americans now say, I have no religion at all. Almost 30 million Americans. Do you know what? There is good news in what we just looked at on the screen because that means if you can find one of those Americans who has no faith at all and you can be contagious to that person, as we heard just a moment in that testimony from the workplace, you can actually physically benefit that life by being contagious with him or her. Now, look, obviously nobody is surprised who can be. God has promised from the very beginning that it is a win-win proposition when you and God enter into relationship. In fact, I wish you would jot these down. Four dynamite texts set up God's premise. And then the other two studies. Four dynamite texts. Let's take a look at these. By the way, they're in your worship bulletin this morning in our... Uh, Contagious Reason Number 7 Study Guide. Those of you watching on television right now, you can go to our website. That's www.pmchurch.org. Go to that website and these study, this study guide is waiting right there for you right now. You can pull it down and you can actually join us in this. Let's take a look at these four dynamite texts. Go to the study guide. Oh, here's a sum, summation of that uh, major study we just noted. In the study of 16 major health measurements... It was found that pursuing religion and spirituality improved every major measurement. Everything improved. Should we be surprised? I think not. Rapid fire sequence. Let's take these four key texts. Key text number one. Jot it down. Third John 2. Not chapter 2. There is no chapter in Third John. It's just a short little letter. But listen to this. Listen to this appeal. Beloved, I pray. 
that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health just as it is well with your soul. God says, I wish above all things that you would prosper and that you would be in good health. There's no God in this universe who's saying, you know, I really don't care how the quality of your life on this planet. Just, just come to me and that will suffice for my own needs. Wrong, wrong, wrong. I wish above all things that you prosper and be in good health. Key text number two, jot it down. The words of Christ, John 10, 10. These words are familiar to some Christians. Perhaps they're familiar to you. Jesus, when he was here, John 10, 10, what did Christ say? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came, I came to this earth. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. No question. I wish that you would be in health. I wish that you would have the abundant life. Jot down key text number three. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 23. God is in tune with, with new age philosophy. Let me tell you something. If there is, if there is light in new age philosophy, it's because the light came first from God. 2,000 years ago, speaking about holism and, and new ages is into this holistic approach. Look at first uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter five, verse 23. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely. May permeate every aspect of your life. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? Andrews University. Here we are on this great campus. Andrews University. In fact, you've seen the uh, school logo. It's a seal. It sits up in the corner of everything that is official from this university. And Andrews University's logo has... A Latin motto of three words. Anybody here bother to learn that Latin motto? A language we, know, we don't speak. How's it go? Mens corpus spiritus. Mens mind, corpus, body, corporate, body, and spirit. And his university is committed to a holistic approach to human living. All right. One more key text. Jot it down. This is incredible. Is this verse really in the Bible? It absolutely is. Exodus chapter 15, jot it down, verse 26. God is speaking. Get a load of this, will you? God said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight and give heed to His commandments and keep all His statutes, hold on, I will not bring upon you any of the diseases that I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. If you will come into my win-win proposition, here's the deal. I promise, diseases rampant in a world without religion, I will not bring. You will not come into, you will not come into those diseases. Now, wait a minute. We're going to look at two studies here. Two studies that, that struggle, that wrestle with the evidence. Could it be true? If I follow God, win-win proposition, those diseases that are out there don't have to come to me. Let's go to the two studies. Just before we go to the two studies, however, I want to talk for a split second about owner's manuals. Do you know what an owner's manual is? Have you bought a new car lately? Yeah, me neither. Who can afford new cars? What is the problem? No, nobody can f afford new cars. Just like you, I buy, I buy used. And when you buy a used car, you no, know, I did buy a new car once. I bought a new car when I, uh, when I got, as soon as I got out of college, I bought a brand new Toyota, Toyota Carina, aluminum mags. Price for the car, would you believe it, $2,700. Because that was back in the late 1800s and cars were a lot cheaper in those days and so. You know, but I know that when you buy a new car, and if you're lucky, you buy a pre-owned car, 
you, and the owner leaves it, the previous owner, you can find the glove compartment in what part of the car? Come on, where do you find the... I just said glove compartment, didn't I? I'm so excited about the quiz we're about to take that I'm getting ahead of myself. Where do you find the owner's manual? You guessed it. How'd you know? Glove compartment. Okay. So you go in the glove compartment. Crisp. If it's a new car, crisp. Plastic bag. You pull it out. Oh, and this is a university audience. Very bright and intelligent. And so let's take a quiz on owner's manuals. Can we do that? I want to test your owner's manual IQ. Let's put the quiz up. Question. Who writes the owner's manual of a new car? Answer. The new car maker. Oh, that is a concept. The maker of the new car actually writes the owner's manual. Question number two. Are you required to obey the owner's manual? What would you say? Answer. Nope. You don't have to. You thought there was a law. No, you don't have to. Question number three. Are you free to put sand in the gas tank, tar in the fuel injectors? Answer. Answer. Yep. Yes, you are. Question number four. Are you free to treat your new car in any way you wish? Answer. Yes. Well, what is the whole point of this? Next question, please. So what's the problem? Answer. Nothing. As long as you understand that you'll be just as free to pay horrendous repair bills and perhaps bury your new car much sooner than the maker intended. Final question of this provocative quiz. Does your maker have an owner's manual? Answer yes. It is the Bible. Before we go to the last two studies, let's go to the owner's manual. Genesis chapter 1. Please open your Bible to the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 1. Now, now, that book should not be hard to find in any Bible you brought with you today. Genesis chapter 1, right there in the Garden of Eden. Can you believe this? Genesis chapter 1, write it in, verse 29. That's the text we're looking for now. Genesis 1, 29. And God said, after he's made Adam and he has created Eve, See, I have given you Every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you that when God invented your body and he invented my body and he rolled this brand new model out onto the showroom floor of a garden called Eden, I want to remind you that there was an owner's manual tucked away that indicated selected fuel requirements for optimum efficiency of this particular model. According to the maker's original design that we just read, optimum health is achieved through the consumption of vegetables, grains, nuts, and fruits called the diet of a vegetarian. By the way, because of that diet, Adam and Eve, when they ate, never had to worry about mad cow disease. Eve never had to say, oh, honey, when you go out and rope the steer and kill it, would you please make sure? She never had to, she never had to say it. They didn't have to kill at all. They ate what was growing from the hand of God. Mark it down, ladies and gentlemen, please. We were created to operate at peak efficiency and maximum longevity on a natural diet. Oh, we're talking about contagious, vibrant, winsome, healthy reason for why I am what I am. This, take a look at this. Enter study number two. It's called the, clinic, the, uh, the Cleveland Clinic Study. Study number two. As you may know, the Cleveland Clinic, not too far a drive from us here in southwestern Michigan, 
down in Ohio, pioneered bypass surgery back in the 70s and is considered today one of the leading heart surgery institutions on earth. And in fact, some of you, I can name you, have gone to the Cleveland Clinic. And you're here today because of their expertise. Now, let me tell you about a certain doctor. Dr. Cladwell Estelson, thyroid and cancer surgery specialist, Olympic gold medal winner, great man. About 15 years into his practice, he said, you know, what, what, what is the legacy that I'm going to have after my practice is over? Now, he did, uh, he did uh, thyroid and, uh, and, and uh, thoracic cancer surgery. He said, man, what do I want on my tombstone? The number of surgeries I've performed. And he did a certain kind of surgery where a part of the body, the anatomy is removed in order to take the cancer away. What I wanted to say, 29,300 of these surgeries have been performed. That's my contribution to life. Please. Then he came across the, the results of some research that had been done at the Pritikin Institute, Dr. Dean Ornish's studies. And Dr. Esselstyn, as he read this, realized the studies are showing heart disease can be reversed by diet. And so what did he do? He went to Cleveland Clinic. He says, gentlemen, gentlemen, would you please take this new diet and uh, use it with your patients? And the doctors there says, said, no way, Jose, we're not interested. Esselstyn was not to be denied. He said, okay. He said, then look, look. I want you to give to me the worst patients you have. I'm talking about those that you've tried everything and whatever you keep trying, they, their condition, heart disease, keeps growing worse and worse and worse. Give them to me. They said, all right, we'll give you 20 of our patients. He took those 20. Listen to this. Eleven of the 20 decided to go through with the study. He put these 11 on a very strict, no cholesterol, low fat, Vegetarian diet, hold on. He allowed no added fats whatsoever from refined foods. There went all the potato chips. Okay, Leave them out. And then every Friday, how would you like to do this every Friday? He sat down with them and interviewed them and said, I want you to tell me everything you've eaten over the last seven days. Everything you've eaten. Would you like to even tell? So they gave a report. Of the, of the 11 who stayed on this program... They stayed on for the next 8 to 10 years. Now, it's true. Some of them were given medication if they had to have medication. He didn't just say, no more medication. He kept the medication going. What were the results for the 11 who stayed with Dr. Esselstyn? Hold on. Here they come. On the screen. Cumulatively among these 11, the group had 25 lesions of plaques. All right? Heart disease in 25 places on their 11 hearts. Okay? Within a short time... All of these lesions stabilized and about half of the 25 began to regress. They started going away. Now, the previous eight years before these 11 patients were entrusted to the doctor, over the previous eight years, this group suffered 37 cardiac events. That means heart attack, stroke, angioplasty, open heart surgery, something that had to do with the heart. 37 of them. Now, hold on. If you're going to have patients who've been through 37 cardiac events and you're going to watch them for 10 more years, you will expect that the numbers will continue to rise because they're getting older and the disease is progressing. He took these 11 and put them on that 10-year regimen. And do you know what? When the 10 years was over, not a single cardiac event in the entire study group. These are the worst patients that Cleveland Clinic says, you can have them. We have struck out. Isn't that something? Awesome is right. Wow. 
Write it down. The Cleveland Clinic study of Dr. Cladwell Esselton is now heralded as major empirical evidence of the benefits of a healthy vegetarian diet. Clearly, the owner's manual has been right from the very beginning of time. In fact, do you know what? This owner's manual in the next book actually corroborates this concept of regressing disease. You never knew this text was in your Bible. Jot it down. Exodus chapter 23. Look at this, will you please? Exodus chapter 23, verse 25. Let's put it on the screen. Take a look at this text. You shall worship the Lord your God, and I will bless your bread and your water. I'm going to take care of your food, all right? I'm going to take care of the diet I've given you. And I will take sickness away from among you. God not only prevents it, but once you have it, He says, I will take sickness away. Jot it down. The owner's manual promises a regression of disease when we follow its instructions. Now you're saying, Dwight, does that mean that everybody who then the disease progresses and does not regress is obviously somehow being disobedient to God? No, no, no. We have our genes that we must confront. And you know what? Our bags are already packed when we're born. The genes are already on by the time we come into this world. So you can't take those genes off. We have a... A, a, a polluted world in which we live and you can be the most healthy person on earth but if that little ching goes into you I mean what can you say but God says look I can work follow my way and I can even reverse disease God didn't tell us that Esselton just told the world give me your worst and I'll use God's diet and watch what I can do <laughs> alright by the way consumption of animal flesh it's not only a health issue it's also become, get this, oh, we have, a, we have a, an entombed campus of young adults. It's also an ecological issue. I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw this full page, page ad in the New York Times. I'm in Boston in the airport reading the New York Times. And there it is, taken out by a consortium of ecology activists. I'm going to put the words up on the screen. New York Times carried this full page ad. I'm reading from a global viewpoint. One of the gravest threats to Earth's ecology as well as to human health is the overconsumption of beef. Now, for the first time in history, ecology groups are joining animal protein, anti-hunger, human rights, family farm and health groups to launch the first worldwide campaign to reduce the population of cattle and the consumption of beef. Please join us. It will benefit your health and the planet too. And then they listed eight ecological effects. If, the, if, if we as Americans would quit eating beef, personal health would go up, animal suffering would go down, rainforest destruction, destruction would go away, Brazil, global warming, water pollution and scarcity would, would, would uh, taper, desertification, that means turning the world into desert, Diminishing food, growing land, world hunger would go down. A mound of corroborating statistics. But here is, the, here is the stinger. Take a look at this. The U.S. Surgeon General has reported that 70% of deaths in the United States are related to diet, especially for overconsumption of beef and other saturated facts. Fats. Americans now eat 25% of all the beef consumed in the world. I have it that all reputable research has linked to heart disease, colon and breast cancers, and strokes. Now, hold on. Foreign countries that haven't lately adopted American diets have shown similar accelerating disease rates. And here comes the stinger. Aside from smoking, there is no greater personal health risk than meat 
eating. Wow! Looks like God knew what He was doing when in His owner's manual He prescribes a natural, organic, vegetarian diet. Now, doesn't it? Are you saying, hey, Dwight, what are you saying? Are you suggesting that you have to be a vegetarian in order to be saved? Nope. I'm suggesting that you need to be a vegetarian in order to be at your optimum best. Sometime, not today, when you have the time, read Daniel chapter 1 and four university students who moved into a culture that was meat-saturated and they made a decision, we will live on the owner's manual diet and find out how far to the head of the class, optimally speaking, these four moved when they took the owner's manual seriously. You just check it out sometime. It's called Daniel's 1. Let's go to our final study now. It's study number 3. It's called the Adventist Health Study of California. Hold on. If, you, if one sock has been knocked off, this will take care of the other. Watch this. This major study involved 35,000 Seventh-day Adventists in California and compared this control group with the general population of California. Listen, it became one of the largest epidemiological studies ever conducted in the United States, period. Now, you see, the problem that researchers have had heretofore is that there are certain lifestyle characteristics, smoking, alcohol, um, exercise, dietary differences. And those variables keep skewing the numbers. Well, how do we know? Did they do this? Did they not do that? Because Seventh-day Adventists represent a rather homogeneous unit, a fairly consistent lifestyle, they said, let's take that group and compare them with the general population. The study began in 1958. It followed for 25 years. It was funded, funded by the American Cancer Society, the National Cancer Institute, and the National Institute of Health. They got funding. I bet some of you researchers would, would love this. They got funding for over $12 million from the government to carry this research out. It ended up being published in over 200 scholarly journals and magazines. Here we go now. This is a California study with Seventh-day Adventists as a control group. What were the results? Let's put them on the screen. As far as smoking-related cancers, let's take California, the average person in California as the baseline. We'll say that's 100%. If you put the Seventh-day Adventist up beside that person, the Seventh-day Adventist's chance of getting lung cancer is only 21%. You say, Dwight, it should be zero. Well, not really. People who have been smokers become a part of this community of faith and others. The, the, the cancer metastasizes from the primary site away from the lungs, but it moves to the lungs, and so they end up in that statistic. By the way, look at this. Mouth, throat, and larynx cancer, only 5% of the chance. It is the most damning evidence today that certain lifestyles, in fact, do cause cancer within the human organism. You know, I, I had to fly down to St. Louis on Thursday to drive over to 3ABN for an appointment there Thursday night. And as I'm driving in my rental car, uh, into southern Illinois. In the distance, I see this huge billboard and it has words on it that I rem remember, I think probably from my college days, something about killing me softly. And I remember a song by Roberta Flack called, you know, they had the words, killing me softly. And I said, why would they put uh, those words on a huge billboard until I got up close to it? And then it was a picture of a male blowing smoke into the air, killing me softly, killing me softly. You know what, Dr. Lionel Pauling, one of the few scientists to ever win two Nobel Prizes, has estimated, calculated that every cigarette you smoke takes 14.5 minutes off of your life, killing me softly. Wow.
The Sloan Kettering Institute of Cancer developed a smoking machine that extracted tobacco tar from cigarette smoke. And when they painted that tar on the backs of laboratory mice, the mice developed cancer indistinguishable from human cancer. Don't you let any industry out there plant a seed to the contrary. There is direct linkage, and the California study proves it. Lung cancer, down. Uh, larynx cancer, almost negligible. And by the way, because smoking contracts the blood vessels and constricts the flow of blood in the body, a smoker has a 25% greater chance of dying of a heart attack, having a heart attack, than a non-smoker. All right, so that's enough on smoking. Let's go to alcohol-related health issues. Again, California at large, the average Californian represents 100%. SDA, Seventh-day Adventist alcohol-related issues, cirrhosis of the liver, look at that, only 13% in this populace. How about automobile accidents? Half the number of automobile accidents, period, in the control group of 35,000 Seventh-day Adventists. You know what, folks? It is commonly... I'm preaching to a university audience with bright young adults in it, but I don't mind reminding you that it is commonly known today that alcohol destroys brain cells immediately. One bit of alcohol in your system and brain cells are irreparably... They're gone. Adios, senorita. It's just gone. A Dr. Melvin Snisley developed an electron microscope that he uses on college students. Okay, he says, has them take a drink, and then he peers with that instrument into the blood vessels in their eyes. He studies the coagulation of the blood carrying oxygen to the brain, and he has determined that alcohol consumption actually cuts off oxygen to the brain. Just that one drink. You're shutting down oxygen to the thinking, to your hard drive for your life. You say, ah, oh, come on, Dwight. I am only a social drinker. I don't drink all week long. I just drink on Friday nights. Or, you know, when I get together with my friends, I want to say to you, my friend, that two out of five people who began as social drinkers have ended up now. 40% of alcohol drinkers end up with a major, serious drinking problem. Now, I want you to think of that statistic for a moment. If you had a dog that bit only two of five people that came to your front door and sent them to the hospital, would you do anything about that biting dog? If you were living next door to me, you would. Forty percent. There is no sane way of thinking that would play the fool and convince yourself that you're the one who can socially drink without effect or danger. Now, I know that there are some of you here who heard a study done in France that noted French wine drinkers have less heart disease than Americans. I'm glad you brought that up. Let me give you Paul Harvey's the rest of the story for that study. Listen carefully of those French wine drinkers. People in France also eat half the number of eggs per person. 30% less sugar and syrup, 20% less meat, and 73% more fruits, vegetables, and grains than Americans. It wasn't the wine. For that reason, the World Health Organization, the National Academy of Sciences, and the National Academy of Science Food and Nutrition Board, as well as professional medical researchers in general, do not recommend the consumption of alcohol in any amount as a prescription for health. Forget it. You got too great a chance to end up an alcoholic just because you're trying to do something for you. I know what you're thinking. You're saying, Dwight, oh man, I have nothing to drink now. <laughs> well, I want to invite my friend Nick and company 
I want to invite them to come up to this microphone and I want you to listen carefully to what they sing. sing. Because if you think you have nothing to drink, they just found out in this 1886 composition song great truth that you need to hear. Pure cold water, we would recommend cold water. Tis the best of drinks for every son and daughter. On the valley or the plain or the mountain, there's no other drink compared with the fountain. Cold water, cold water, there is health in pure cold water. There is wealth in pure cold water. Bear away your wine and beer and your cider. Nature's right to rule must never be denied her. We would, we would recommend, yes, we would recommend cold water. Cold water. Cold water. Cold water. We would recommend a pure cold water. All right. <laughs> There it is. Thank you, singers. Ladies and gentlemen, if you wondered if there is anything left to drink, there is pure cold water. Let's turn to diet now. What did they find in this California uh, study? You know, they said, let's check this subgroup out. Are they all vegetarians of these 35,000? And here's what they found out about the subgroup. Maybe you're somewhere in this. They found out that 56% of California Adventists eat meat. All right. Not necessarily as not necessarily every day, but some day during the week, then you would end up in that uh, category. Forty-two percent of California Adventists are lacto-ovo vegetarians. That means I'll eat eggs, I'll eat cheese, drink some milk, and I'm a vegetarian. All right, that's lacto-ovo. And two percent of this control group are real, genuine vegans. You know what a vegan is? I don't eat anything unless it grows out of the ground. All right. Okay, so then they said, let's check what the cancer rates are amongst these in these subgroups. Fascinating. They found out the California Adventist meat eaters have a heart disease death rate 64% of the average California. So it drops down, okay, because they, they, don't, they don't smoke as well. You understand that? And so the, heart, the, uh, the rate drops. They found out California Adventist lacto-ovo vegetarians have only a 40% heart disease mortality rate. And then they found out that California Adventist vegans had a 23% death rate from heart disease. Keep that slide up there because I want to show you that if you take the bottom line, three times greater death rate if you move up to the top line on that screen and become a meat eater. If you're a vegan, you've increased your chances three times of dying from heart disease. What happens to the length of life in California? In this study, they discovered that men, Adventist men, lived six years longer than the average Californian man. And Adventist women had an advantage of plus 3.5. You say, oh, man, it's not too good when you're a woman. Well, women live longer anyway. And so you can understand that that uh, figure would be a bit lower. No, I'm being serious. In the Netherlands, by the way, some of you are from Holland. Adventist men in a similar study had a nine-year advantage over the general populace in men and women had a 3.5-year advantage. Somebody here from Poland, I see somebody here from Poland in a similar study in Poland. Adventist men, men 9.5-year advantage. Adventist women, 4.5-year advantage. Ladies and gentlemen, what does it mean? Write it down. The California Health Study of Seventh-day Adventists. 
one of the largest epidemiological studies ever undertaken in this nation, clearly corroborates that the vibrant dietary lifestyle of the Bible results in better health and a longer, more productive life. Dwight, what are you saying about all of this? Well, let me now move to the bottom line. The very winsome, buoyant, attractive, cheerful, practical, and healthy reason I am what I am is contagious reason number seven. And by the way, it's number seven. It's not number one. It's not number two. It's not number three. It's number seven. And we're only doing seven. So it's still there. And what's that reason? Put it on the screen. Good health is God's way. Four dynamite texts we saw at the beginning. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, God longs for us to be the healthiest persons we can possibly be. I know you got the genes. We live in a polluted world, but God still is saying, if you will follow my way, I will give you peak efficiency and maximum longevity. Just follow me. So may I give you a final key text? It's number seven. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31. Would you like a key text to guide you as you live your way through this life? Oh, this is a simple text. Put it on the screen. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, please do all to the glory of God. Now, Paul, just in the same book, has already told us why. I want you to take a look. A final This isn't on the study guide, but I, I had to insert this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Thank you. We're going to go ahead and uh, fill out, out. Oh, let's not. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please. And verse 19 and 20, our last text. I want to end with a story right after this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? <laughs> You're not just a little hunk of clay. You are a temple of the Most High God. Don't you know that? Your body is His temple. And you have this body from God. Oh, by the way, Paul says, you are not your own. And then look at verse 20. For you were bought with a price. Calvary's crimson currency has bought our very blood cells. It has bought our skin. It has bought, it has bought our organism. You were bought with a price. Therefore, with your body, would you please glorify God in all you do? You have been purchased by Calvary's crimson sacrifice. Hallelujah. What do you say? Hallelujah. I want to end with a story. Peter Dimitru, Russian author of Incognito, tells the story of a forester one day in one of those great Eurasian forests. This is long ago, and when they would log the tops of hills and mountains, they would actually build into the forest side wooden chutes because it took too long to try to roll the logs down. And so they found if they build these wooden chutes, they could put that massive trunk on the chute, and it would go thundering down to the valley floor where it was prepared and cut and taken off. Dimitru tells the story of this forester who, at, towards the end of the day, has decided to go down to the valley. Now, the foresters would often take their axe handles, sit on the axe handle, and ride down the chute. And it was like a roller coaster, just shoom. As this forester was riding on his axe handle, his foot became stuck in a hole that had developed, a crack in the chute. His foot went into that chute, and he could not extricate his boot from that hole and while he is trying he freezes as high atop the hill he hears the shout tree 
coming and he feels the ground begin to rumble. As that man turns and looks up the mountainside, here is coming at full force a fallen trunk. He looks, he tries, he looks, the tree, his axe, and in a split second, he severs his ankle, leaps from the tree as it thunders the rest of the way to the valley. You know why he made that decision, ladies and gentlemen? Because he valued life more than death. And there are times in our lives in the third millennium when the only salvation, the only solution is to with radical action cut whatever it is that is placing you in front of impending death. Some of you are thinking, oh, I'm going to spend a few weeks and I'm going to just spend a few months and I'm going to kind of work my way toward it. My friend, there is a thundering log of research statistics coming your direction. You make the choice. Who is this God who says, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in good health? Who is this God who said, with my blood I have purchased your body? He's the same God who says, with me you can do all things. There is nothing the power of Christ cannot bring about in your life to make sure that you too live with optimum efficiency and maximum longevity. I commend to you contagious reason number seven because you see good health from stem to stern is God's way. Let it be your way. I humbly appeal to you. Let's pray together. Holy Father, You wish above all things that we prosper and be in good health. You've come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly, body, soul, and mind. None of the diseases. I can help you. I can even regress those diseases if You will take my manual. Holy Father, for what it's worth, I think in all of our hearts right now, there is a desire to follow, to cheerfully follow the manual that has been entrusted to us. If it means a radical, quick decision for life-saving reasons, then, oh God, for the man, the woman, the young adult that must make that decision, grant the courage of Christ and the promise you can do all things through the One who strengthens you to buoy up that decision. In fact, while every head is still bowed in prayer, I'm wondering, it, it, it seems the right moment for you and me to be given an opportunity to say by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to do my very best to follow the manual that He has given. I wish to live with my body temple consecrated only to Him. If you'd like to pray that prayer in closing, with me, I'd like to invite you to stand where you're sitting right now. Would you stand? I give to you, O oh God, I give to you my body. It is your temple. Occupy it. Possess it. O oh God, possess us, these bodies, until the, Je the day Jesus shall return for His creation. Until then, may His grace carry us every step of the way. And now may the God who sanctifies you in body, mind, and spirit give you joy and peace 
as you walk with your friend. Amen.